This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks as always for listening. My guest for this episode is Luke Matthews. Now, admittedly, you may not know who Luke Matthews is, and that would be understandable, and I'm sure he would agree with that as well. Luke spent 10 years at Swindon playing from the under 8s all the way to the under 18s. During his time at the under-18s, he was coached by Jamie Pittman and Scott Lindsay. He played alongside such players as Will Randall, Lee Marshall, Jordan Young, all players who would go on to play for the first team. Unfortunately for Luke, he was unable to earn a professional deal at Swindon. He moved into non-league football in 2015. However, it was a short spell at Bath City and Supermarine because he moved to the United States to play collegiate football for Elon University. I imagine Luke was quite surprised when he got a message from me asking to take part in this episode because, you know, he didn't play any professional games. But there's a great story here. There's a guy who played for Swindon within their youth system for 10 years and how he managed to, you know, get back up and start again. And he's doing so, earning a degree and playing football alongside other players who experience similar fates at their youth clubs. I found it really, really interesting and I'm so grateful to Luke for agreeing to take part. I really, really enjoyed it and I hope you guys do too. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy.
Luke. Hello, how are you doing? I believe you've listened to a few episodes, so you know the drill, how I start every episode, and I always start even with this script as well. So who did you support when you were younger, and who were your heroes when you were first getting into football? Uh, Swindon Town was obviously my main team growing up. Obviously, I was born in the town and grew up in and around the town, so coming coming from the town, I was a mascot and participating in football in the community sessions and players such as Sammy Igo, Rory Fallon and Christian Roberts and Lee Peacock were big big players and big influences um, on me growing up so Swindon was my main team and then for some reason um, Liverpool was sort of my second team and I always followed them growing up. I guess it was because of Michael Owen and Steven Gerrard were big players and I really enjoyed watching them and Gerrard's been an influence on my career growing up not because I played in his position at all but he was just sort of the way he played and his commitment to the game and obviously staying with Liverpool throughout his career when he had opportunities to go elsewhere um, I sort of followed that and really thought that was um, something special so Liverpool and Swindon Matt Hewlett and Andy Gurney was never uh, more of an influence than, than Stevie G <laughs> no they probably should have been I sort of watched them growing up and I remember Andy Gurney was sort of a midfielder that, and did he play centre-back a few times as well but um, he was definitely sort of someone I looked up to growing up as well and followed them when I was a mascot and different things like that so we're going to go into this mascot malarkey because I've never been a mascot um, so in the programme who's your favourite player? Oh that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> I think I might I think it may have been Rory Fallon because when I was growing up and I was younger I played sort of more at front and sort of um, on the left wing, I don't know why. I guess I was because I was a little bit smaller when, when I was growing up. I'm definitely not like that now, but um, I sort of played on the left wing. I was left-footed and sort of up front. So I think Rory Fallon was probably the person I was the person in the program that I'd um, put down as my favourite player. Yeah, you were about seven or eight when he scored the overhead against Bristol City, also known as the greatest day of my life, um, or at least the greatest moment. So I think that might have been a big, big factor <laughs> in me picking him as well. <laughs> what are your earliest memories of football? What sort of moments in football? Um, when did you start thinking, I need a football in the park and things like that? Really young. I think I was probably, as soon as I could start walking and sort of running, um, I'd be playing in the living room. Uh, my dad would always remind me of those days of I'd, there would be like a footstool in the middle of the living room and I'd have a, like, a little plastic ball and I'd be kicking it over that and then we'd have these back doors that would go onto the back garden and stuff and I'd use that as a goal and my dad would be in goal and sort of stuff like that so that'd be probably the earliest memories I have of football and then sort of where I lived um, growing up there was a park right next to where we lived so we'd go to the field um, sort of every evening or most weekends and sort of have a kick around there um, and my dad would always encourage me to get out as much as possible and have a ball on my feet so it got on my mum's nerves quite a bit but my dad would always encourage it and who did your dad support? My dad was a QPR fan. I think he grew up in and around that sort of area. So he was a QPR fan, unfortunately, for him. No, there's loads of QPR fans in Swindon. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, I only, I only say that because when I, I, I'm not from Swindon. And whenever I come in on the train, there's always people going to London in their QPR shirts. Before you start doing your, your playing in the community and things like that, who were you playing for before Swindon? Um, so before Swindon, I, um, my first team was Wesley Wanderers. Sort of a family friend was a part of the setup there. Um, and he sort of introduced me to the coach when I was really young. Um, he knew my mum, so it was through that sort of thing. I started training with them and playing games locally. And then I moved to Wooden Bassett, which was kind of like a local rival, like the big teams. I guess we were the best two teams sort of in the region at the time. And sort of that was a grudge match when we whenever he played each other so it's a bit controversial moving over there but Wesley was the first team that I sort of played for and got my chance to sort of play in games and stuff so I really cherish those moments and I moved to Wunbassia in particularly because my cousin played there so that sort of had a big sort of influence on me moving there and then sort of I knew a lot of the players there 
my dad sort of um, grew up and was living in, in that in Winbasset. So one of the things I miss about junior football is how political it is and if you move if, if you're taken from one team to another and how it's like the, the talking point of the community have you, have you heard if you heard Luke's gone he's gone to Bassett unbelievable and then and then when you play each other it's like all the parents want them to do is he's like kick him kick him well that was what it was like in the 90s anyway it, no I think it was definitely the same then the sort of the parents sort of obviously separated from one side to the other whichever <laughs> team they were supporting it was crazy sort of the players would be talking, the parents would be talking. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't nice, but no, I didn't, never had any sort of too much abuse, so it wasn't too bad. What I can't believe now, because I live in Bristol, and when I'm sort of when I, especially when my daughter was a bit younger, I used to take her for walks a lot on the Sunday when the the kids' football's on. And what really surprised me about it's very Americanized in the sense that there's like rope around the pitch now. There's people making drinks and there's there's people like doing barbecue food and things like that. And I was like, man, I would have stayed beyond under 14s had that stayed stuck around. But yeah, I mean, it does seem more of a, a more of a it's more community based now. A lot of people get involved in it. Oh, for sure, definitely. I definitely I think I that was sort of beginning when I was sort of that age, and it's sort of taken off a lot more now. I know my brother's 16 now, so I've seen it sort of through that sort of time as well. And how much like the parents get involved and sort of have food for the players after and sort of have events mm. now and again like when over the weekends and different things like that to bring everyone together it's definitely more Americanized as you say for sure mm. so do you remember being scouted by Swindon I do actually yeah it was, it was funny I was playing in a cut final for Wesley Wanderers against actually Wooden Bassett at the county ground and Jimmy Fraser was the academy mm-hmm. manager at the time, um, and he was watching in the stands and actually giving out trophies and medals to the to the players after the games and stuff. And we actually lost the game, um, funny enough. But I think I must have done quite well because I went up to collect my um, runners-up medal, and he sort of asked if I'd be willing to come for a trial and stuff. And being seven years old, supporting the supporting that team, I was as soon as he asked me, I said yes, very excitedly. Um, and then sort of. I guess through the footballing community, I used to do the summer camps and stuff. And I think there was a scout or a coach there that used to come along and watch and just see if there was any players that he thought he looked uh, like the look of. And he sort of put my name forward. And then sort of the school, um, after school sessions, Jeremy Newton mm-hmm. um, would be the one that took our sessions at our school. I went to Petemore. So he'd be the one that took our sessions after school. And I, I think he may have had a little bit of a say in it and stuff. But I think definitely um, that game at the county ground helped me a lot. Uh, um, and catching the eye of Jimmy Fraser, who must have been watching. Couldn't think of anything better to make me recover from losing a final than you get your medal and then then an offer of a trial. I'd, I'd be like, have your, have your trophy, guys. I'm going on trial. I think definitely. I was After the game, I was obviously distraught being seven years old and you've just lost in the cup final. You're obviously going to be down and upset. But as soon as he said that, my mood changed and my day, that was probably one of the best days of my, my life to date, I guess. When a scout is watching, and I don't know if you, you, you can answer this, but... How does an eight-year-old stand out? What are they doing? Are they are they comfortable on the ball? Are they just not hoofing it out and they're thinking of playing passes? What did they see in you, do you think? That's a good question. I think I was lucky um, in a way that every, ever since I joined Wesley, I was playing a year up. So mm. I was always, always playing with the older kids. I don't know how that worked out. I guess it was because when I joined, I didn't have the age group that was for me. So I sort of, from Wesley, Wesley Wanderers and growing up, I always played um, a year up. So I guess that helped me a little bit. And then sort of um, the footman acuity and being able to play in front of players, uh, the coaches and scouts there, that helped me a lot as well. Like I said before, when I was growing up, I was sort of like a left-footed forward. I don't know if that's common. I don't know if it was common then. I don't know if it's, it's common now either. But I, I think that sort of helped me being able to play on either side and being left-footed was a little bit different. It added something different to what I was as a player. And I was 
kind of, I don't want to say skillful, but I was able to go past players when I was younger, not anymore, but that sort of helped me as well. So I guess that's made me stand out a little bit more. But I think the main reason was I was able to play a year up from Wesley Wanderers and, and so on. So that made me stand out maybe a little bit more. So it's probably a bit, a bit different to other players, but I think that was one of the main reasons why I, I may have stood out a little bit more. You guys always start as forwards, don't you? I know, yeah. I don't know what that is, but it, for me, it definitely didn't last very long. It was maybe three or four years and then I was told to get back so I haven't moved since <laughs> yeah I was a centre forward originally and I started with them and I was scoring every week in the friendlies um, in pre-season and I was nailing it got a brace against Bemerton Heath Harlequins never forget that it was brilliant scored against rivals Westbury it's all going well first league game of the season we're playing Salisbury or something like that and instead of going for a tap-in, I think it's going in and I just let it go by and it goes wide, it would have been the winner. And I never played up front again. I was a centre-back for all time and I, I always thought that was kind of harsh myself. Okay, so one more thing before we go into Swindon. From, you're an outsider looking in really now, but because of your brother and because you've gone through the system, how would you rate the football community at junior level within Swindon? Um, I think it's definitely improved and definitely continuing to improve. I look at... Obviously, my brother's. I said before, my brother's involved in it now, and he he seems to enjoy um, every weekend. Sort of being able to, they're in the league, so that league system is really big, and they play for their games mean something, which I think is a good thing. When you're growing up, you need something to play for. Hmm. You can't be playing friendlies all the time. It sort of gives them that com- competitive edge. And if you don't have it when you're growing up, then you, maybe you're never going to have it. So I think that helps a lot. And then they have the cup finals and different things like that that they play for. Hmm. So I think that's definitely beneficial for players growing up, for sure. And then sort of they have the, the ability to play at school and different things like that. And they have like a JPL league, I think now. So that's another kind of like academy system just below the, the main academy. So I think that's definitely beneficial to players to give them something different to aim for instead of maybe not always aiming for going to like a Swindon or a, or a Bristol or a team like that they've got sort of Sirencester and Supermarine and different teams like that who are their academies are really sort of beginning to grow as time goes on kind of thing Nicely done by Smith Toffolo again Williams is in there and the inevitable result Well he's too good to be true Okay, so were you successful in that initial trial? Um, so yeah, I, I think it was um, a six-week trial I had, um, um, and I trained with. Actually, I, I began training with the team, like the age group above still. So I didn't go into my own age group. I carried on playing the age group above, and I think I must have done quite well because yeah, they offered me a contract after the um, the six weeks, and I was straight in. Um, and then I sort of continued to do like the football in the community and different things like that as well because I didn't really want to lose that. I sort of had fun there and my friends would be doing it as well. So I continued doing that alongside it kind of thing at school and I would go to some summer camps as well still. So let's focus on the pre-under-18s time you had at Swindon. So you were there from under-8s to under-16s. So who are your coaches during this time? What are their philosophies and how, how do they give you the best possible chance to making the progression into under-18s? Um, so I think my first coach was Sean Wimble, who now has his own football academy sort of thing in and around the town. Um, he was sort of he had a big influence on my early years at Swindon because he was a coach that was wanted to play football and would make us play out from the back and be confident on the ball. And his sessions were designed to be fun, but also help us learn as we grew up. Grew up and I thought he was a great coach. And I used to go, he used to hold like sort of his own academy sort of sessions, and I'd go to those as well because I thought I'd 
really sort of developed as a player mm-hmm. um, growing up for those years. So I'd always keep in contact with him. So those first few years, I'd sort of have him. And then I think Jeremy Newton, Mark Collier, and occasionally Jimmy Fraser would sort of step in and take a few sessions. So those early years were really beneficial for me growing up. And like I said, I was a forward then. So I learned a lot growing up as to how to play that, the different positions across the front line. And I think they had a big, big effect on me going forward. And then I sort of, after that, I had um, a coach for quite a few years called Sean, I think it's Sean Pocock, maybe. Um, and I, I think he took over from maybe under 12s, under 11s. And I had him all the way through to under 14s, under 15s. And he, it was tough. We had, <laughs> we had a lot of players playing up the age group. So we we didn't do very well in a, lot, uh, in a few games in um, the later years. But I learned a lot about myself in that sort of, not not always winning games, but sort of having to take those losses and keep going and sort of keep developing no matter how the results and how the games were going, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know why why you're playing a year above? That's a good question. I like to think it's a, 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 a ability, but I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> um, to be honest. I think, obviously, I said before, I, it started at Wesley and I was playing up at the age group and it never seemed to change. So mm. I never said anything about it. I just carried on going as things were and it sort of just became natural in the end really and I never really thought of it until later on in my career at Swindon it seemed to just be until under 15s is when I started playing from the actual age group that I was supposed to be playing so it just kind of became natural and I guess I must have been doing alright otherwise they would have looked at it and probably set me back down in age group so I'd like to think I did okay and it wasn't because of budget kill It's, It's two sides to it really isn't it because one Yes, it's ability. You've got they can fill that position because you're good enough for it. But at the same time, are you missing out on a little bit more success, a few more wins, a few morale sort of boosting moments if you're playing in your age group? So I, I think it's really interesting. Now, Sean Wimble, I'm pretty sure was a Swindon youth player in the mid '90s. That name Wimble definitely rings a bell. Jeremy Newton is a big name if you've listened to any of the guys that have come through the ranks for me personally it's because I grew up playing under him sort of obviously I said before he was my school coach for the after school session I sort of knew him and was confident around him like my family knew him so we had like trust in him and I knew the way he wanted to do things and knew the way he coached and stuff so I think he always got the best out of me and sort of until today well today I still keep in contact with him and stuff so he's always been a big influence on my career and helped me through um, different things and I think sort of like other players have said on the podcast before, he's just the way he coached and how he was with people. He, you knew he was always up for a joke, and but you know when we were playing and training, he was going to be serious. So um, I think he's the way he coached was definitely a main factor, and obviously for me personally, knowing him for so many years, that I think I was confident and comfortable around him. So that helped me sort of just play relaxed in games and training. I sort of could play more, like I say, relaxed, which was good for me personally. I think. Yeah, and Mark Colley, of course, is now um, managing the the Chipman Town senior side, of course. Um, I always find it, it... I mean, do you think that's what coaches are always really angling for, opportunities at senior level, or people like Jeremy Newton, their expertise is best in the in the youth setups? Yeah, I think it depends on the coach and the personality of that coach. Like you say, Jeremy, Jeremy and Nutt, Jeremy Newton um, was obviously... His, or his passion was sort of helping and developing young players, whereas... Some coaches probably have that passion, but then they they want to. They're always looking for the future and looking to see where they can go and maybe challenge themselves a little bit further. Mark Collier has obviously done really well at Chippenham, so I think his probably passion now is to keep developing as a coach in the men's game and seeing where that takes him. So I think not to say he didn't have a passion for developing young players, but I think that's kind of a learning base um, and like a stepping stone just for the future kind of thing for some coaches, which 
I think is a good way to go. Sort of, you learn your trade and you sort of get get session plans down, and you're training twice, twice, three times a week. So that's definitely a a good way of going. And then if you are better better suited for the men's game, then you've got that sort of development through the the youth and the academies and the about and that experience kind of thing. Mm. So it always depends on the character and the sort of person of the coach, I think. Which one of those turned you into a centre-back? Or I think it, I think it might have been Jeremy Newton, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, I think I, I began moving back. So I started as a forward. I think I played maybe a couple of games in centre midfield and then um, <laughs> that was it. I was moved back to centre-back and I think it might have been Nutty, actually, that moved me back, yeah. I've looked at the rosters for Elon. You don't need a goalkeeper, so um, I think you're OK. They have plenty of goalkeepers. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Luckily, I think that we've got about four. But I should say that. I think I've, I think I played through the academy. I think I played every position, including goalkeeper, um, <laughs> growing up. So it's not that I haven't played there before. <laughs> so you you went and played various other setups uh, as a Swindon player. How did Swindon's compare to the rest in the region and beyond? Yeah, I was fortunate obviously through from around under 13s to under 16s we played some against some top academies around the country sort of from Man City Man United Tottenham and so on and their academies uh, absolutely ridiculous as you can imagine but then I would say Swindon uh, when we played at Wombra and Lidington our facilities were probably one of the best in the region um, for what we had with all the pitches and the, the change rooms there and sort of the pitches were always sort of cut and they were always easy to play on kind of thing and sort of the change rooms weren't bad and you always had that area for food and stuff the other side so I think growing up definitely Lidington and Wombra was up there with the best um, in comparison to the other setups in the region we'd obviously go down to like Plymouth and Torquay and you wouldn't know where you were playing from one game to the next kind of thing so that wasn't they weren't the best Exeter was always quite a good place to go they had their own training ground sort of area and that was that was good and I know they've developed that over the years and that's got better and better it's fu- <laughs> it's funny I look back and we played we used to play Swansea um, they used to be sort of in our region and stuff and we went down there one day before they were in the Premier League um, and I think it must have been a, a recreational facility or a sort of community, community facility and we walked out onto the pitch and it had obviously been tipping down and there was puddles all over the pitch dogs running around all sorts <laughs> we get onto the pitch and there's there's a concrete slab in the six yard box before we start and we're thinking what's going on here um, so you look at that and you think you just think like Swindon was in comparison to those sort of teams it was it was probably one of the better ones to be honest so when you were playing some of those elite academies were you aware of some of the players that were in the squad and any of them went on to uh, or going into Premier League now or was it was it too early um, I think it was a little bit early probably under 15s and 16s you sort of saw a few more mm. um, I think probably the, the one main one I remember under 16s and he's not a big big name but he's made a couple of first team appearances and played in the championship it was probably Josh Anoma um, I don't know if you've heard the name he played centre midfield mm-hmm. yeah. um, he's played for the uh, a few like the England under 21s and so on um, and he, def- he played we played against him in the under 16s and so he was definitely a name that I remember sticking out and you could just see the, his quality on the ball and stuff. He actually, um, yeah, he looked pretty good. And then sort of under 18s, um, well, I was actually under the 16s and the under 18s played Liverpool in the FA Youth Cup. Yep. And they had they had a lot of, a lot of players that I remember and players that have made first team appearances and still playing in, the, in and around the Premier League now, sort of Jordan Ibe, um, Jerome Sinclair, Jack Dunn, mm. uh, Shea Ojo. I think there's any more. There was, there was obviously a load. I think Shea Ojo was actually on the bench that night, which is crazy <laughs> to think they signed him from MK Don's yeah. year earlier for about a million pounds. Yeah. So it was just it was it was an unbelievable experience just to be in and around the squad for that game. But it was scary just watching them play. And Jordan Ibe was a joke that night. I think. And, and you would have gone on plenty of tours and tournaments during your time at Swindon because it's one of the things that they love to promote. Any particular one stand out 
opposition as in clubs he played against? The main one, probably um, the Milk Cup mm-hmm. during the end of 15 season was probably the main tournament. I think a few other lads have spoken about that on previous shows. It's just the experience in general was unbelievable, sort of walking through the streets for the opening parade and with fans on either side of the street just cheering and sort of asking for pictures and autographs. You're a 15-year-old lad just thinking you're a pro already sort of thing. They, it was an unbelievable experience. We played, I think we played Everton in the group stage. I think they went on to play in the final. I don't know if they won it in the end or not, but that was probably the main team that we played against in that tournament and they did very well. But it was just a great experience in general, really, mm-hmm. sort of with the lads staying in um, like a college dorm over there and you're together all the time sort of stuff. It's it's a really good experience and one I'll probably remember for a long time. I mean, it's televised, isn't it, nowadays? You can get it on BBC Online. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And your, your young boys sort of thing, sort of 13, 14, 15, going over there, sort of flying over, sort of. It's unbelievable, really, the mm. experience. And sort of, you're never going to get anything like that again, probably, for a lot of lads, unfortunately. So just taking that, taking that opportunity and sort of enjoying it as much as possible is what I would encourage others to do. Here's Rooney with the layoff. Williams looking for the early cross. It's coming step to uh, oh, it's a superb goal by Swindon take the lead, another ball for Brentford after their devastation of just a week ago. Well, we talked about a team finding a piece of real quality. We've just seen it for Massimo Luongo. The touch of quality we needed. It's a stunning opening goal. under 16s the club have to make a difficult decision because that's when you find out whether you get your apprenticeships or not which of course you did um how many of you do make it to that under 18s level after under 16s well i think there was quite a few of us actually um because as i said before i was actually playing in my own age group and we were doing actually really well sort of we played like we played the top some of the top academies and stuff, and we we actually competed and beat a few of them actually. So we had a really good group of lads. Um, I sort of remember. I think there might have been probably eight or nine lads that made it in, into the scholarship system. Um, I remember there was quite a few like Callum McCormack who'd been there the whole time, Aaron Moody, uh, Will Randall, Lee Marshall, all been there since under eights, and that was that was always, that was good to see. I was sort of happy about that as well. Sort of having those lads in and around the sort of the team um, every day, sort of seeing them come through the the system alongside me which is always good yeah let's look at that year one squad so you've made it through um was there any other doubts that you were going to move on to the next or was it very seamless oh there's always a few doubts i think mm-hmm. because you're never totally sure but um i was lucky i did quite well in that under 16 season and i um trained with the under 18s a few times i played i actually played um, a couple of games i started a game against oxford not long before they made their decision didn't start very well in the game, but I did quite well at the end. And um, Paul Bonham was actually the coach then and said I did quite well. So that was always sort of in the back of my mind. And then I trained a few other times and sort of was on the bench, like I said, in the FA Youth Cup and stuff. So that's probably as confident as you could be kind of thing, just sure. looking back at those sort of situations. But you're never totally, totally sure, I guess. I think your your form against Oxford in the under-18s wasn't very good. What Did you win that game? Uh, no, I don't no, think we did, unfortunately. No, we no, were... no I'd rather not speak about our form against Oxford. <laughs> no, it, it, I, I've had a glance at the scores. First thing I look at, and it's like, oh, good. <laughs> I want to talk about the day-to-day, because I've talked to you football and you know how you're all best mates, and it's the greatest thing ever, and we will get to that. But what is the day-to-day of an under-18 footballer? So let's, let's give you an example. It's Monday. You've just had a 1-1 draw over the weekend. You come in on Monday... 
on a Monday we'd be in around 8am we'd come in sort of get ready for practice and then we'd go into the gym sort of pre-activation um, stretching I'm at the counter ground in the small gym there and then sort of after that we'd go I can't remember because <laughs> the first year we had a minibus and then the second year it was different because we, we had to drive ourselves up to the training ground because the minibus was no longer so <laughs> wasn't there a Channel 5 documentary about that? <laughs> I think so yeah so better not say too much about that but um, yeah so we'd get the minibus up to the training ground um, and then we'd, uh, we'd set up for the first team so we'd be up there a little bit earlier um, than them and sort of I think I was on the group of uh, making sure the balls were pumped and stuff, and then other lads would be setting up the pitches for the first team and stuff. So that'd be the morning sort of um, the, the morning schedule, and then we'd go and go over the cross the other side of the training ground to train ourselves um, for normally about an hour and a half, two hours. Come back over and make sure the equipment's picked up from the first team. Sort of mini bus it back to the county grounds where we'd get lunch provided for us in the first year, but second year that changed again, and then sort of afternoon was college on a Monday so we'd go to college at New College for the afternoon after that and then sort of we'd be there for about two hours and then the rest of the day we were done that was the kind of Monday schedule and then sort of the Tuesday Thursday Friday was more with the same sort of schedule in the morning um, and then the afternoon it was different we'd do weights I believe on Tuesday Thursday and then sort of after that is I think Lee Begwell mentioned it before you sort of you never knew when you could leave and when you should leave kind of things it was kind of an unwritten rule that you'd stay sort of until five and then that's when people started to trickle out and leave kind of thing because no one knew exactly when they could get off so <laughs> that was that was kind of the day-to-day on uh, most of the days sure um, and then we'd also have like coursework to um, get on with from college and stuff so yeah so just again for those listening your first year is the 2013-14 season so it's it's that sort of awkward phase in Swindon history from Andrew Andrew Black leaving, Jed McCrory um, coming in and, and Lee Power getting involved. So yes, if you do want to know what happened to that minibus, I'm sure it'll be repeated on Channel 5 for about the millionth time at some point. So thank you for that. So do you not do the boot clean anymore? No, that's, that's <laughs> a good point. We, actually, for some reason, I don't know why why we never did really. I think uh, sort of one of the issues was we'd get sort of ready and change and we'd be at the counter ground for most of the time. Whereas the first team they would go straight up to the training ground and their their kit and everything would be there. So the kit man sort of would have all the, the boots in the sort of bin he'd um, sort of transport to and from the ground in the training ground. So we didn't really have that opportunity. I remember I think Salvin Kisitu, mm-hmm. um, who was there in the first year, he'd actually he actually had a few of the first team um, players who he'd clean boots for. I think it was Ryan Mason and maybe Alex Pritchard. I did. I do remember asking him if I could get involved and maybe taking one pair off him, but he was he wasn't for giving them up at all. So unfortunately, I, I never did. Not many of the lads did, to be honest. I'd have been petrified doing things like setting up the balls for first team training in case I did it wrong. So uh, boot cleaning would have been just equally as petrifying. Do you have much interaction with the first team in that respect, or do you just set up and go? A few occasions they'll. They'll stop and say, speak to us. Like I said, we, we sort of got there a little bit earlier, so we didn't have too, too much to do with them, to be honest. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, they're a, a great bunch of lads and sort of they're really respectful of us and sort of um, whenever we're coming over to, like you say, pick up the equipment and stuff, they'd always um, be very appreciative and say thank you and stuff and always have time to speak. I remember Aaron Ward mm-hmm. was... Um, was there at the time and he was always up for a chat and obviously I played in the same position as him so I had, I had some good chats with him and I learned a lot from him to be honest when I spoke to him sort of just the way he went about training and his lifestyle and stuff I don't know if you've seen him but yeah. he's very 
very much on the um, good healthy um, living sort of mm. um, way of um, thing. So I definitely learned a lot from speaking to him and just um, watching him and different things like that was um, very beneficial and sort of they're really good lads to be honest. You have two coaches during your under eighteen career: uh, Jamie Pittman in year one and Scott Lindsay in, in year two. What were your experiences of those two as coaches? Yeah, so Jamie Pittman obviously took us for the first year, and I kind of knew him beforehand. I think we had a couple of sessions with him before under 16s, etc. I said before he's, he was like the under 13s, under 16s kind of phase coach at that point. Um, so we had a few sessions with him before and knew how he liked to do things and the type of sessions he'd put on and stuff. So um, I think that was kind of beneficial having him before and knew of him. To be honest, I kind of struggled in my first year sort of coming in. I went through a couple of hard times. I wasn't playing very well and stuff and found it a little bit hard. and he was always quite tough for me to begin with, and um, I had a few, um, few, how, how do I say it, bollockings from him, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, but then he, he was also very good at putting his arm around you and sort of saying um, saying how I could improve and saying well done when I did something well and sort of helped me in that way. So I always appreciated everything he did for me and sort of, and we didn't, I don't think we did very well in that first year. I think we're going to speak about that in a bit, but we didn't do great as a, like a whole team, but I definitely developed a lot through that year and learned a lot from him so I was very appreciative of him for that and sort of throughout the year I think I, my performances kind of got better which kind of showed how much he sort of helped me through and towards the end of the year I began more, getting more and more confident and sort of playing better. There's a documentary from the 92-93 season where John Trollope gives Jamie Pittman a bollocking on TV so uh, he, he, he's been through it all before himself. Definitely, yeah, I definitely would say it was definitely beneficial for me. I learned a lot certainly from those and I've actually seen that documentary, well, I've not seen the documentary but I've seen that clip of him <laughs> getting that bollocking so no, definitely, I, I really do appreciate everything he did for me to be honest. I, I spoke to him, I actually watched or listened to his podcast that he did with you so I spoke to him after that and sort of said thank you for everything after that to be honest yeah it's definitely well worth listening if people listen haven't listened to that episode because he's very honest in there so you finished seventh in that first season and it's not a big group is it so um so in year two mark cooper brings in his pal scott Lindsay. um how did you find that yeah so it was it was different because obviously i think scott was really good friends well he is really good friends with mark cooper and you've seen that he's gone to far screen with him now so he sort of what we did we've we'd mirror and follow everything that the first team did kind of thing mm. um and so the style of play, the training sessions and different things like that were all sort of focused and uh, mirrored to follow what the first team was doing. So the second year we adopted a three at the back, which was different to what we played before um, in previous years and never really had played that before, to be honest. Mm. So that was that was a little bit different to begin with. And probably the, the most different the most difference, uh, different thing from the first year was how he wanted us to play. He wanted us to play out every single time. So as soon as the goalkeeper got the ball, it would be playing out from the back every time I don't remember kicking it kicking it along once up to the striker or up to the forwards so that was probably one of the main differences but I didn't do I didn't do two I, we started off really well actually second year I think we went six seven games unbeaten um, got off to a really good start and was playing really good football and probably the best the best football we've ever like, I've ever played in the academy to be honest and the most confident we've been it was pre- pretty impressive to be honest um, and really enjoyed it and then it's sort of I'm not sure what happened after that we sort of we played Oxford probably that's probably yeah. It's probably actually true to be honest. We probably <laughs> played them, and that's when it started to t- turn around, which didn't go too well to be honest. Yeah, we well, finished. You finished third that year. Start probably helped us, and then the middle part and the towards the end, it sort of began to slide. I think a little bit. Yeah, the merit league did not go well. No, I, 
probably the best not to speak about that. <laughs> um, One question in relation to having two coaches during such this is such an important time in your career because it makes and breaks not just you, it makes and breaks your teammates as well. And the standard, as far as I can see it, is that you have the same under eighteen coach to mentor you for the full two years. Did you find it damaging to your development to have two different attitudes during this time, or was it quite beneficial in the end? I think it can be a little bit detrimental, yeah, definitely, because every coach has their own way of going about things and their own coaching techniques and philosophies and different things like that. So getting used to one coach in the first year and doing things they wanted to do was kind of kind of good, and then you're sort of getting used to it. And then the next minute, you've got a new new manager in, and he wants to do something different, and they have their own their own style of play and philosophy. So I guess it can be slightly detrimental, but then on the other hand, it can be beneficial, I feel like, because you're getting two different coaches' advice and opinions on things, and they may see something in your game that may not be going well, and they can help you develop and grow as a player. So both coaches were similar in a way that they kind of wanted to play, and possession of the ball and different things like that was probably similar, and it didn't really change too, too much, but like I said before, the main change was probably playing three at the back and having to play out from the back every single time instead of mixing up our game. So I guess the second year it was probably you've been thrown into this sort of formation and you didn't really have a say, not a say, but you didn't have a um, sort of that experience kind of thing, I guess, was probably the biggest thing about it. But I think sort of, I think it can work both ways, like I said before. So I don't think it hampered our development too, too much, to be honest. Um, it was quite a, quite a smooth a smooth sort of transition, to be honest. Um, it was just understanding how they wanted to do things and their different ways of going about things. Mm. Um, probably the big the biggest thing for me was probably when <laughs> when Scott Lindsay came in came in for his first day of pre season. I think it was um, we did some running. I put my hands on my knees and he absolutely yeah ripped me to pieces to be honest and I'll never forget that. And that's probably the biggest difference between the two to be honest. Oh, wow. Sort of just having that that yeah to be honest and sort of not saying I didn't have a good good relationship with him but it never really I never really got on with him how he got on with a couple of other players probably but I definitely enjoyed enjoyed my time with both coaches sure what about the reserves because you're in your under 18 setup but Swindon at that stage aren't in a development league do you find that frustrating would it been preferred if you were in a league system with reserves so you could have sort of move towards senior football playing with some of the uh, fringe players in the senior team yes for sure definitely um, I look back now sort of years on and how I've had lo- loan spells and played for the sort of Supermarine and Bath and playing senior football and how much that helped me as a player and develop was so beneficial and then sort of I think if we could have participated um, in a development league earlier and had more development games to play with the pros that weren't playing in our first team and, uh, and playing against other pros from other teams I think that can only be beneficial for players um, as they grow and sort of develop as players, to be honest. I guess I look back at my first game for Supermarine and that was sort of an eye-opener for me and sort of how we, I think it was away at Bridgewater um, and it was obviously a boiling hot day and the pitch was bone dry and he had hardly any grass on the pitch um, and sort of the first the first play, their centre-backs just hoofed it forward onto my head. And I thought, yeah, this is a little bit different to how, what I'm used to, to be honest. Um, so I just look at that and just think how if we could have had more games sort of with older pros and gain that experience, how much that could have helped us develop in the youth team and probably helped us sort of going forward, to be honest. Well, 
As I said earlier in, in, in this conversation, the reaction I've had from guests regarding their under-18 careers has been universal in the sense that they've all enjoyed their time in the setup as friends. What was your under-18s experience like? Uh, yeah, I think sort of, as other people have said on previous shows, it's probably the best time you're probably going to have, and I definitely would, wouldn't mind going back, to be honest, and sort of redoing it all again. <laughs> um, I guess you just got to look at it and say, what, what's there not to like? You're playing football every day. You're sort of going in. You're more or less a professional footballer, to be honest, mm. um, for two years. So you can't really not like it, to be honest. The sort of experiences and opportunities you get through that is second to none and sort of something I was very appreciative of, to be honest. Mm. Who were the who were the ones that really did stand out during your time there? Um, as in youth team or first team? Both. The first year, um, like you said, Matty Jones and Curtis DeCosta were probably the two that stood out the most as in the older group and sort of had opportunities with the first team. Jonesy, I grew up playing alongside, so I knew of him um, before, and he's probably got one of the best left foots I've ever seen. And then Curtis De Costa was a solid, he wasn't the biggest of centre-backs, but you wouldn't want to mess with him, and you wouldn't want to go into a 50-50 challenge with him, to be honest. He was he was full full force. So, but he was definitely someone that I looked up to as well, because he could play um, as a centre-back. So he was definitely someone that I enjoyed playing alongside. And then sort of my age group, you look probably Lee Marshall um, and Will Randall did really well sort of going through the years and then sort of especially the when they were scholars um, mm. Will Randall in particular you know we saw sort of after he got his professional D he sort of got like, moved to Wolves and stuff and he really sort of did well and you could see how, how good he could be and the potential he had sort of thing on the wing he, I was fortunate I, I was sort of the left sided centre back and he played left wing back and he you could just see sometimes it, it was a joke sometimes what, what you do to defenders he'd sort of he was left he could go either way he was he'd play on the left but he was right footed but he could take a defender down the line or he'd cut inside and he had this change change of speed that was scary he'd slow down draw the defender in and just take it past him and you just thought wow I'm glad I'm not defending against him to be honest um, and then sort of the players the, the first team we, we'd train not train with them but we'd sort of um, do like a walkthrough the day before a game and stuff so being a centre-back, playing up against the likes of Michael Smith, John Abika, Andy Williams were, was a great experience for me. And you could just see the quality they had um, being the, with the pros um, and not being up against them. You, the quality they had was kind of frightening, to be honest. The touch, hold-up play and different things like that. They moved. Um, it helped me as a defender, to be honest, sort of having to play against them and sort of seeing how, how they moved and the different runs they made. So I think... Definitely, sort of that early, the early years were definitely the years that I saw a lot of potential in some of our players. But I also learned a lot about myself from the pros, to be honest. And as you mentioned, you go out on loan to Supermarine in the latter stages of your under 18s career. To you at the time, is that a sign that you're going to be moved on, or could it be seen as a positive that they want to see how you're playing alongside older players? I don't know. At first, I think I may have probably thought, seen it as a positive, to be honest. I mm. thought, why would they loan me out if they're going to get rid of me, to be honest? And, Sort of, sort of looked at it like that but then I kind of in the back of my mind I knew I hadn't had a great great year I didn't play probably as well as I could have done to be honest um, so that was always in the back of my mind and thought have I done enough to sort of 
earn a professional deal or deserve one. Um, but then I sort of I looked I looked at it as well again and sort of just thought like how how could they send me out on loan if they're going to get rid of me a week later kind of thing. So I, that was kind of always in in my mind. But I to be honest, deep down I sort of I knew I probably hadn't done enough as I just said. But the physicality and experience of the older players. I don't don't know if I was ready for that to be honest. So sending me out on loan to Supermarine, I guess they may have been looking at it to see if they liked me and they were kind of giving me an opportunity to impress to sort of get a con not a contract but be offered something after they let me go kind of thing. So in a way, looking back on it, I'm very appreciative of and grateful of what they did to be honest. And in a way, I don't know if they sent me out on loan not knowing what the decisions were at the time or or what they're thinking was it behind it to be honest but I guess it was a bit of both to be honest. There's also this small point of the fact that Swindon have an absolutely amazing campaign in the seniors so it, I always think from my side of things as a fan when we do well I think well that's the youth players because there's there's no way in is there because if we have a great season we get more money and that means we can bring in more players and if we have bad season it's, a, it's more of an open door for you guys so I, I guess in many ways, you you guys are victims of the success of the seniors as well. Yeah, definitely, I definitely agree with that for sure. I, I kind of look at back at the sort of the training sessions we go to, and and like I said, we we'd um, do like a walkthrough with the first team before and playing up against some of the players was absolutely ridiculous. Sort of like, especially in my second year, sort of <clears throat> the team we had when we made it to the playoff finals was ridiculous. We had Jack, they had like Jack Stevens. Ryan Mason, Jordan Turnbull, Alex Pritchard was the first year, but Maslowungo, you just look at all those players and you think, how am I going to get into the first team or how am I anywhere near what they, the level they're at sort of thing? Because mm. it, it, was, it was a joke really. And probably a lot of Swindon fans will probably know a lot more than I do, but I think that's some of the best football I've ever seen at the counter ground for sure. When we used to go on a Saturday after our games and go and watch them, it was, it was a joke, some of the football they played. The possession and sort of the, the way they controlled games was was ridiculous at times kind of thing and I really enjoyed and it was you, you couldn't really not enjoy it to be honest watching no. it was just it was it was scary oh, it was amazing it was amazing um it was a great shame how it all sort of fell apart at the end of this is the this is this this is the sad bit really isn't it so because I've talked to a fair few ex-town youths about the day they found out they're getting professional deals you're the first person I've talked to who got the bad news you've mentioned a little bit already but what do you remember from that experience and again you, you've covered it before but was it a shock and what was the reasoning yeah it was it was kind of strange because we didn't really have much like warning that anything was going to happen we sort of went in one day and everything was normal and I remember there was a few whispers that something might be we might be finding out that day but didn't really take much notice of it because there'd been a few whispers the week before so and nothing happened so we didn't really take much notice of it um we went into training as normal and went to the training ground and did everything as normal and then sort of came back and Jeremy Newton Nutty at the time was our the academy manager and he sort of came in and said that we should all go to the away bar which is where we all sort of hung out and that was our sort of like little room where we play table tennis and things so he just told us to go in there after lunch and sort of wait um, and he said that decisions were going to be made sort of thing so we didn't really have much warning or much time to think about it so I look back on that and sort of think it's probably a good thing that we didn't have much time to think about it it was then we were told and that was it so he came in and called people out one by one we all sat there together no one speaking just looking at each other um, and he'd take us one by one as I said, next door to Scott Lindsay's office and I think I was maybe third or fourth the person to go in and as you can imagine I'd been at the club quite a while so I was super, super nervous and didn't 
know what to expect, having been sent out alone a week earlier to Supermarine, which made it ten, probably a little bit worse for me. Um, anyway, I, they, I walked in and sat opposite them at their um, at their desk, and Natty said that unfortunately I wasn't going to be offered anything, and he he didn't. I don't know if I can't really remember if he gave any reasoning what it was for. I think probably, like I said before, I don't know if I was really ready for that physicality and ready for the first team to be honest. And I could see that in a way. I, like I said before, again, like I didn't do too 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 well. I didn't really stand out too much in that set. I think I trained with the first team once, and that was in pre-season. Whereas other lads, they trained with the first team quite a few times. They'd been a part of the first team squad quite a few times. So. I kind of, it wasn't too too much of a shock, but he, he said that I was kind of probably not ready, I guess. And then, in a way, I was lucky because he he went on to say that there was a coach from America that had been interested in come to watch us play a couple of times, and he gave me a slip of his information. So I was <laughs> I was kind of in two minds when I left the room, to be honest. And then sort of went back into the room where everyone else and the rest of the team were, and put my head down and didn't know what to think and sort of. Look, everyone looked at me and I shook my head to say I hadn't got been given one and stuff and no one said anything no one really knew what to say to be honest mm. after that I sort of went outside and called my dad and sort of told him the news and stuff because he, he'd been everywhere with me he came to every game every away game so in a way I kind of wish he was there with me to be honest so I called him and just let him know what had happened and sort of he just said it's okay or everything happens for a reason kind of thing and I went after that. It was I went and said goodbye to all the staff at the ground, people I'd known for ten plus years, to be honest. And that's when it sort of kind of hit me. I wasn't going to be going in every day or be there again to be be a part of the part of the club. So I guess that's when it sort of hit me, and sort of a few tears started to roll down my face. But no, after that, it was sort of I guess it was hard to take. But I look at myself now and sort of think how it helped me grow as a person and how much it sort of. Like I say, what helped me grow as a person, but also as a player, because if you're getting told that you're doing well and you're getting good news all the time, then you're probably not going to learn too much. So that bad news probably helped me spur me on a little bit and sort of push me to try and do better and to the next thing, I guess. And that's how it really happened. Well, it did help because after leaving Swindon, you go on trial with Bath City. So you earn a contract as a result of that trial. So at this moment in in your career, you, you said you've been given the leaflets about America but in those sort of moments it's just a leaflet isn't it uh, at this time were you thinking oh, Bath is a good launch pad to get back into the football league or are you thinking or are your options open at this moment Bath was probably yeah my main focus to be honest I went after I got released I went to the LFE which is the league football education um, exit trials and sort of um, that was the first thing I sort of did and obviously I was playing with Supermarine as well and yeah the LFE trials sort of allow you to play in front of coaches and scouts and different things like that um, and then Bath got in touch I think that might have been through Nutty as well because Nutty knew um, the coaches there he used to play um, for Bath somehow. didn't he I think yeah exactly and I'm not sure if Paul Bowden may have had a say or not because I sort of knew him still obviously had contact with him so he may have had sort of contact there with them too because obviously he had a great career and he's sort of kind of a hero there so he definitely knew people there so yeah Bath was definitely the main focus for me at that that point in time and sort of I went on trial again there and sort of trained with them and different things like that so that was definitely where my head was at at that point in time and sort of main focus was trying to impress them and see where it goes with them to be honest Mm. and it's it's, this is where things get really sort of rubbish really because you get injured on your debut for Bath as well don't you I do yeah unfortunately yeah so 
It's a, it was unfortunate. It was obviously I'd done quite well in the pre-season. Played a couple of games against um, league opposition. I think we played Newport and Plymouth, and I think we beat Newport comfortably three or four four nil or something like that. And then we drew with Plymouth three three maybe or something like that. Um, they did quite well. Off, got offered um, a contract. Started the first game of the season against Wealdstone, which was at the time they had the Wealdstone Raider, so they brought a lot of fans and they were kind of quite popular um, in around this sort of area. Um, and sort of remember it was in the second half and the ball sort of bounced and I went to clear it and booted the bottom of the striker's boot I think and sort of got um, boot like boot on the top of my foot and it went down and sort of that kept me out for about a month I think unfortunately it was a little bit longer than I really anticipated or wanted to be out obviously so it wasn't a great um, start so kind of struggled to not recover but get back in the team because the team were doing quite well at the time and the centre packs were doing quite well so they never really um, I never really got the chance to get back in to be honest so went out back went out on a like dual registration with Supermarine um, where I'd been before I knew the coach and everything so that was always going to be a good move for me to be honest Non-league football in Wiltshire is as good as it's ever been really because you've got Supermarine which is where many Swindon Town youth players end up you've got Chippenham Town who are as high a level as they've ever been same with Supermarine in that respect and of course you've got Bath okay they're not in Wiltshire but they're just round the corner so this is where a lot of people bed in at this point isn't it at what point are you starting to think now I want to give I want to give football a go elsewhere or I want to do more than and I don't want to be disparaging between um to Supermarine because they've got a wonderful setup there. That's not enough for some people though. The first episode I spoke to, I spoke to Aaron Oakley. Aaron Oakley could have stayed at Supermarine, played 400 games. What was motivating you to take the road to North Carolina, so to speak? Probably similar to Aaron, I probably could have stayed at Supermarine for, well, definitely for the end, to the end of the season when we were doing quite well and sort of pushing for promotion and stuff. So yeah, I was in a similar situation then, but I think sort of I spoke to my parents and that was a big. That was a big sort of moment, and we sort of began to think. I, I think I've had. I may have mentioned it to my mum before um, anything had happened at Swindon that I'd heard and seen things about um, the universities and colleges in America and how how good it looked. Um, so that was like kind of the beginning of the beginning period of that sort of process, to be honest. Um, and then sort of after the LFE trials, I had a few sort of coaches get in touch with me. So. I kept in touch with those coaches, one being obviously Chris Little from Elon and a few other coaches and sort of discussing sort of with them like what it would entail and what, what it was like out there kind of thing and sort of they all said similar things of how much, how how amazing everything was over there and how much it would help me in the future and different things like that. It sort of, my mind kind of sort of to kind of moved towards that way before even anything else to be honest and sort of that was a big moment. I knew it was going to be a big jump if I took it, but I thought if I can get over there and do well and sort of get a good degree, then that would stand me in good stead for the future. And sort of, it's kind of something different. I'm not someone for just doing the same thing, if that makes sense. So mm. something different kind of stood out for me, to be honest. keep it to the academics because I know it's not the case for everybody but footballers 
within the British youth system aren't exactly known for focusing on academics. And I've talked to people where college is seen as a little bit of the, it's the worst part of the week. What did you have to do to be considered for an offer? Were your GCSEs and all your A-levels or BTECs or whatever you had, were they were they adequate or did you have to do a little bit more? Yeah, so you have to do, there's quite a considerable amount you have to do actually to, to be considered to be even taken into a university. So it will, you'll, before you even get um, sort of an offer, you have to take um, another test, either the SAT it's called or an ACT test, um, which all American students have to take it's a requirement to be taken um, in order to be admitted to, into any school in America kind of thing. So each school has like a different score, score requirement for the students to be offered into that school kind of thing. So the test focuses on English and maths. And to be honest, it's the longest test I've ever taken. I think it lasts about six to eight hours. I'm out. That's it. It's done. <laughs> and I don't know if, if it was worse for me being in that test or it was worse for my dad who had to walk around um, the sort of area for six to six to eight hours waiting for me to get out to be honest but um so then you you do that test and it's obviously um split into the two sections of english and maths and then you, you sort of they look then look at um sort of your gcses and your, your college sort of uh, merits and distinctions and what you got there and sort of if you do if you've done well there then that helps you obviously a lot and then sort of each school has a different score requirement. I think I took the test. I can't remember how many times I took it. I think I took it two, two maybe three times just to be on the safe side that I got the scores. And just because they take your highest score. So if I didn't do well on one, then I took it again and just made sure I got better in that sort of area kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was de- I was definitely a little bit rusty in a certain a few areas because I hadn't done school in a while. So <laughs> um, I think it might have been two or three years since I'd done English and maths completely really sort of looked at it looked at it in depth so I actually got a tutor to help me in the end because I wanted to make sure that I got the correct scores and the scores that I needed mm-hmm. so that's how serious I kind of took it in the end <laughs> and are you taking those exams are you traveling to the US are you taking them in in the UK and did you go to America to, to view the colleges or college no so you, you can take the test here in England mm-hmm. um, there's a few places I'm trying to think where the place was I think the closest one was in Gloucester. I can't exactly remember what the school was called. Wycliffe College, maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went there a couple of times, and that's where I took the test. And then, actually, I did not visit the, um, the States before going over. I didn't visit any of the, the universities, which is obviously a massive risk and not one that I um, advise anyone else doing. I would definitely encourage people, well, if they can, they have the funds to definitely go and visit the, the colleges that you're looking at, because it's kind of going into the unknown otherwise. I was obviously fortunate that Chris Little, the head coach at the time, was who brought me over was from Swindon. So he'd come over to he'd come over and visit visited me a couple of times and met my family family and we had a few good chats and he'd show me a PowerPoint of the school and the and the football programme over there kind of thing. So I guess it was a big risk not going over to visit, but I was also lucky that I had Chris to rely on kind of and tr- I kind of trusted him to sort of tell me the truth and how everything was kind of thing. So but if I was anybody else, I'd definitely encourage them to go over and visit if they could. Yeah, I know a lot of people that have taken their uh, teach English as a foreign language and they've they've paid the money, they've done the online courses, they've done uh, they've attended courses, uh, they've got their qualification and then they've not bothered. They've, they've just not, they can't commit or they get cold feet and they've just got this qualification that they'll never use. It's you're young when you're making this sort of decision. Of course, you've got the support of your family, but did you have any doubts at that stage? Uh, yeah, <laughs> everything was fine. I, um, I think sort of going over, I, we had, you have to go to London, obviously, to get your visa and everything. So that's probably one of the first times I had a little bit of a doubt just because it became sort of, 
it was a re- reality sort of thing that is actually happening kind of thing at that mm. point, moment in time sort of that's when I first thought oh okay this is a big 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 decision and then sort of that it's like kind of it just carried on going as normal I didn't think about it too much and then sort of the day before I left was I had a big meal with my family sort of thing and a goodbye kind of like party and then I sort of had made well not major doubts but I had doubts for sure and questioned if it was the right decision to be going over but I thought I don't know I, I had thoughts before about continuing to play in England and trying to move up the, the leagues and the ladder the football ladder I was obviously enjoying my time at Supermarine because obviously I said before we were pushing for promotion at the time so it was it was fun and I was enjoying my football I guess I had a couple of other offers from higher leagues but they never really sort of interested me or I never really thought about them too much to be honest so yeah I think I guess I had a couple of doubts but not as many doubts as I probably think I probably would have at that time so you've been playing alongside footballers in the same boat as you, having left a high level of youth football. You've had teammates that have been at Ipswich, Luton, Middlesbrough, Sheffield Wednesday, along with some Scandinavian teams, some MLS sides. You've played alongside people who've been in the youth academies there. So what's what's the goal for college footballers? Is it seen as a pathway for professional offers or is, is it seen as... This is an education. I'm do. I've got this scholarship, or I'm here really for the education, the the football, the soccer. That is the bonus. I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah. There's definitely the opportunity to play at a high level, and there's definitely the chance to make it professionally here. Um, but I also think the chance of getting a high level degree in education is also important. Sort of, you look at the universities over here, and they're incredible. Some of them, to be honest. So. The amount of opportunities in various areas and jobs also after college and after university and sort of having that expertise to go into those certain fields and occupations is obviously much bigger than in England and Europe, I'd say, in America, to be honest. So having that opportunity is massive, but also having, I guess, like guys here from other countries helps you sort of, I guess it helped me settle in as well, to be honest, and feel comfortable. And the Americans that are already here were a big help and and I look at like guys like Jonathan Colby, who was from Middlesbrough, and Jack Wilby from Ipswich, who are the guys you probably mentioned, and they were sort of examples and good friends of mine. But they're just a couple of people that had like they've got different stories, kind of thing. They, Jonathan Jonathan Colby is sort of he's taking a different route. He's not playing football anymore. He's more focused on work. So he's he's now working for PwC, which is one of the main major auditing firms in the world, and he's over in America still. So I guess he took one of the routes. But then you look at Jack will be, and on the other hand, he's playing, looking to play professionally after graduating in May. So like, that just kind of shows like different it can be, but how beneficial it can be in different ways, kind of thing. So, like I said before, it works both ways, kind of thing. To be honest, Elon Phoenix is who you play for in the sleepy. It's kind of like it's a college town, isn't it, Elon? Um, That's one way of putting it. <laughs> I think. I mean, do you all, do you all live in Burlington or do you live in in Elon? Because Burlington, North Carolina, is much well, it's bigger, isn't it? It's, it's, I've heard of Burlington. I've not heard of of Elon. Well, that's impressed that you've heard of Burlington not many people have um, Burlington I, yeah it's definitely a little bit bigger but it's definitely not much more going on to be honest Elon's um, where most people live but like you say it's a college town with very little amount of going on and there's not many bars and stuff so many people will either live on the, the campus where there's dorms and stuff or just outside, out, outside of the campus but still more or less walking distance so it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely a college town in that sense mm-hmm. but there's definitely not much going on in and around it unless you drive 20 minutes to 40 minutes away where there's a little bit more going on to be honest yeah and Elon play in the Colonial Athletic Association Conference which is part for those in the know of the NCAA Division 1 which if you can correct me is the highest level um, at collegiate sports 
What were your first impressions when you arrived in North Carolina? I was honestly shocked at the standard, uh, the facilities and everything that goes with it, to be honest. So some of the places you go and play, um, it's probably, they'll probably challenge some of the places that we go in England to play, sort of the top academies in England and Europe. Uh, the amount of money that the universities have over here and the funds that they have to supply teams is is ridiculous to be honest and so much more than you could imagine for example um in our conference we play teams up and down the east coast so the distances as you can imagine are quite great and they're not exactly close probably the closest game we have is about three hours away to be honest but um so a few a few games in that year we'll fly to games and if we're not flying we'll have sleeper buses so that's just an example of the amount of money that they have over here and that sort of how serious they take it, to be honest. Um, and if you have anything, if you have anything else that you need or any requirements that you need, they have anything available here, more or less. So, yeah, like you say, it's it's a bit special, to be honest. I'm very lucky to have this opportunity. Yeah, I think in modern times, because of uh, because of gridiron football, so um, collegiate football has made a lot more people aware. Things like I know it's high school, but like Friday Night Lights is is enhanced. Um, people's knowledge of how seriously Americans take pre-professional sports and of course there's documentaries on Netflix like Last Chance You where you've got this sleepy I think it's a community college that somehow have these NFL level soon to be you know division one players who just can't behave playing down their way I mean I think Elon have a 10,000 stadium for their American football you guys have a couple of thousand in in your stadium it's got a lovely brick uh, red brick sort of commentary area isn't it where your bench is uh, it just it just looks so idyllic and it it looks like something that that you will never get in the UK. Is this sort of format possible in, in, in England or is it too ingrained that we must become professional footballers straight away and not have four years getting a degree and playing sport? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a little bit of a struggle to implement this in England, unfortunately. I think because it's hard. You look at in England, you've got probably, I don't know, you've got Oxford, Cambridge is two of the main the main universities and then obviously you've got like sporting universities that are known throughout the country as Loughborough maybe um, being one of the main ones in Bath but you've got those four and then you sort of I don't know it's, you've got other universities but I don't know if they're going to challenge these universities if that makes sense whereas in, in America you've got hundreds and hundreds of universities across the country that have got funding and money that they can throw at it to sort of get players in and sort of have the, the facilities needed um, and then again in England you've got sort of the professional sort of route which is the main focus whereas in America they use the college system to sort of not sort of coach and um, develop players but that's the main way players sort of go into professional I guess in a way um, and it, whereas in England the academies are the main focus if that makes sense. Mm. How, how have you found combining football with your studies? Uh, <laughs> at first it was yeah, yeah it was a challenge at first just managing sort of the time requirements sort of getting back into that routine and then having to put a bit more time into studies instead of just focusing on football like I had for the past two three years kind of thing so it's quite full-on um, some days I've, I know I've known days to be 12 to 14 hour days of practice in the mornings classes and then having to write a long paper and study for or study for a big test so it's definitely a little bit different but as it's gone on I'm in my third third year now so I'm getting a bit used to it and better at managing my time and knowing the resources available to help me get and sort of get a better understanding of the classes and different things so I don't 
at the first, if anybody's thinking about coming over, don't worry at the start. Try and get through those first couple of weeks or months and then I can guarantee it definitely gets a little bit easier and a little bit better for you. And what is your day-to-day generally during the during the season? Uh, so Monday through Friday we have 8am practices and then we'll have weights on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday generally um, for the most part. We'll have two classes each day. They, they vary from an hour and 10 to an hour and 40 minutes classes, so not too bad. It's The day-to-day will vary, it depends, because over here the it's the school year is kind of split into into two. Um, with you've got the full the, the full sort of term, which is August, early September through till December, which is the main sort of I guess you'd call it soccer season. So people don't get confused, but that's the main soccer season where we're playing a lot of games. Um, so the schedule will be a little bit different depending on the game schedule and different things like that. Um, and then in the spring it's more sort of settled. Like I said before, we'll have. Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. practice, and then weights on the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's a little bit more structured. Whereas in the in the full season, and when we're playing a lot of games, that's when it's a little bit different, and you've got less time on your hands, should I say? Mm. Where, for example, last year we'd had four games in seven days, so that was that was a lot to be honest. <laughs> There's something that separates, I think, British university experiences and the American is they get really involved, and especially the alumni. You know, it doesn't matter if they left. Um, college uh, f- four years ago or 40 years ago they have got all the all the jumpers they turn up to all the football games have you drunk the kool-aid yet are you elon for life yeah I'll probably i'll probably have to say yes because i don't know who's gonna be listening to this so yeah i'm gonna say yes and yeah i, I am yeah yeah for sure <laughs> do you go to the american football games going go, elon. i don't go I, I go to the games i don't go quite that far but i do wear my elon maroon colors to the games occasionally <laughs> When we don't have games, I'll definitely go and support the team for sure. Yeah, hey, it's going re- it's going really well for you in the US. So let's just just read off some of the stats that I was able to get from the Elon website. So in your first year, you're in the Division All Rookie Team. You know, no small feat. There's plenty of teams in there, all with def- centre backs. So um, you're you're part of the tightest defence. Uh, in in the division in your second season you're in the second team all division you played the most minutes for your team hopefully you've got some more achievements in 2018 and to come in 2019 you, are you enjoying it i'm loving it yeah i think this is probably the best decision i could have made yeah unbelievable to be honest um i haven't really got a bad word to say about it um in all honesty he um sort of just any everything and ev- anything you could wish for is over here to be honest as you say the, the soccer the football and the soccer is going really well um, and then the academics are going well too and I've probably the, the friends I've made here I've probably made for life kind of thing I mentioned before sort of had a group of guys there was four or five of us that are really close and then I've made friends sort of outside that as well so I can't complain about anything to be honest During your time at Elon you have gone up against another Swindonian uh, who plays who used to play for Duke can you name that Swindonian? Um I think I know the second, is it Fyotov or something like that? Is that his second name? It certainly is, it's Marcus Fyotov. He was a good player and I think he actually got signed. He got drafted by Seattle and he's down in uh, New Zealand now, but technically a Swindonian because that's where he was born when his dad was uh, wowing us all by scoring lots of goals in a very short space of time in the Premier League. Um, Before we go, it's not the only football you're playing over in the US, so you've been playing... 
You played last summer, and I think you've signed up to play next summer as well at the very picturesque-looking Asheville, Asheville City. They play in the MPSL, which is, well, I think that's the fourth division of American soccer. Um, how have you found that? It looks The pictures from it look amazing. Oh, yeah, um, unbelievable, to be honest. Like you say, picturesque is one way to put it. Um, yeah, I loved it last summer, sort of outside of playing college soccer that's the only way the team that's the sort of the only division that you can play in while you're in college it's mm. a little bit different over here you can't sort of play for any professional teams or speak to them or train with them it's very strict with the NCAA rules so yeah so the MPSL is sort of like a summer league kind of thing and Asheville sort of got in touch last year and asked if I'd be willing to go down and play throughout the summer and I sort of jumped at the the opportunity and loved it down there the, the, like you said the supporters uh, we get about 2,000 maybe fans a game at home a few more on a few other games and they're just the noise and the sort of atmosphere that they create there it's like a family club as well it's 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 unbelievable this this little stand there because people will be listening at 2,000 that's nothing that's that's just small but the, they put them in this tiny stand and they've got the drums and they're doing that thing that Americans love to do it's like it's all in or not at all isn't it it's it's absolutely amazing and there's a great picture I think it might have been on your Instagram feed where you're signing a kid's shirt, only a little, and about six or seven, and that kid is losing his mind that you are signing his shirt. I mean, that's that's as good a taste as you ever get. Yeah, like I say, it's it's unbelievable, and it's just yeah, you're just grateful to be able to put like smiles on the, the kids' faces, to be honest, and it's that makes it all worth it. And I remember being just about, I'm not that old, so I can remember being that age and sort of being in the same situation, and just the pro, if any player would make the time to come up to you and sort of spend some time with you that that made their day and probably made their weeks for so just being able to, to give back a little bit and sort of sort of remember the times that I were, like I had back in those when I was younger kind of that's what I look, look to do to be honest and that's what they love there is having the, that that team there and sort of having someone to support and that's that makes their week is going out and watching the team play and sort of having someone to look up to a little bit I guess and as we begin to close this now um you're entering your final season and your final months at Elon so for you what's the plan are you are you hoping that you might get drafted by MLS are you looking um are you looking to stay in the US to play in any of their divisions or are you looking to come back and and give non-league or to give football league trials a go what what you're hoping of course you've got going to have a degree now as well so that's going to open plenty of doors for you also first and foremost is obviously focusing on this summer doing well and hopefully there'll be a few people maybe watching to see how I do this summer again and maybe getting a chance to go and train with a few teams with a view to potentially going there after college and then sort of focusing on the the, the final college season is going to be massive and doing well individually but it's, it's more how the, the team do and sort of if we can do well as a team then that'll be massive and that'll help a lot as well to be honest so focusing on that and then we'll see after if I get any offers or what comes of it and how well we do will depend on that a lot, to be honest. So that's going to be the main focus is doing well throughout the season, both individually and collective as a team. To that will give me the best opportunity after. And then if if I can, I'd I'd like to stay out here. To be honest, I've like I said, I've loved everything about it, and I feel like the opportunities over here are so much a little bit more so suited to me than maybe in England. So I don't think my family would be too keen to hear that, but <laughs> I think. Um, I think the the plan is to stay out over here if I can, depending on visa situation also and uh, job. But I'm majoring in sport management, so the plan is to stay within sport and hopefully I can do something related to that if the soccer and football doesn't 
sort of pan out. But that's probably the main focus is doing well in the season and then hopefully getting a few offers after. So we'll see how it goes. Not bad for a kid who lost a cup final. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's, I've come a long way, I think. <laughs> well, that's it. That was amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest and I hope the final season goes really well for you. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. The Low Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.